Okay, guys, welcome to another Jesus Rant. Pastor Tom Carter, Word Without Walls Ministry. This is Season 2, Episode 23, The Temple. And the reason that I think that it's important to talk about the temple is today is because I want us to understand what it means to be the temple of God, to be the house of the Holy Spirit. Because you guys know that a lot of times I rant about living from the inside out, about how you can't give what you don't have, and you can only give what you do have, how what's inside of you will come out of you, or more accurately, what you believe is inside of you will come out of you. Because it's your faith that makes things happen. It's your faith that makes things go. It's whatever you believe about yourself that is true about yourself. Like I always say, you are not what other people call you, but you are what you answer to. What you believe about yourself, how you define yourself, is how you operate in your life. What you do flows from what you believe. So if we can get to a place where we understand who we really are, where we really are, and why we're really here, which you know I mention every once in a while, that's why I wrote the answer trilogy, the, the three books that kind of answer those questions of who we are, where we are, and why we're here. When we understand those three fundamental questions, that's when we can really step into our destiny, uh, our epic eternal purpose in Christ destiny, and we can really experience this life that we've been given to the fullest, an abundant life. And, you know, as as I've said many, many times, the thing that makes the abundant life abundant is love. So when we're talking about being the temple, well, let me read my first verse and then and then we'll really get into this. My key verse for today is 1 Corinthians 3.16. And I kind of like any time that there's an important 3.16 verse in the Bible because, you know, John 3.16 is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I always kind of like it when there's a 3.16. Uh, I preached a sermon one time many years ago uh, about the other 3.16. I think it was Ephesians, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I just kind of like that. So 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God lives in you? To me, this is very, very important, that we understand that we are, collectively and individually, the temple of God. We are where He lives. The Spirit of God lives in us. Jesus said in another place, you know, He said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. So there's a definite uh, kind of community aspect to this, where when we connect to each other, we're more powerful. And I think that that's true in all aspects of life. I think, you know, many hands make light work. The Bible talks a lot about uh, looking after the things of others instead of looking after just only yourself. It's, it's love, you know, because love is giving. And you can't give unless you have something to give. And you can't give unless you have someone to give to. And really, that's why God created all of humanity. He created the human race 
so that the God who is love could express himself to us. He, he, he needed something to love in order to fulfill his destiny of being love. Because love is not, love does not exist in a vacuum. And, and really, the, the cool part about it is, even in the very beginning, before there was anything else, there was still, you know, the what, what is kind of commonly referred to as the Trinity, the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So even before God created humanity, he had the ability to express love from Father to Son, but he wanted more than that. He didn't just want one Son, if I can say it that way. He wanted all of us as a, as a corporate son, as a community of sons, it, there's there's this there's this sense of again relationship and connection that that sometimes kind of gets lost when we're talking about you know religion and we're, when we're talking about uh, some of these different aspects. I see it so much in society today, where everybody is so individualistic. Everybody's so, well, I have to do what I have to do for me. And, you know, if, if that hurts you in the process, I'm sorry, but there's really nothing I can do about that. I'm number one. I'm the most important. I have to take care of myself. If I have to crawl over you in order to get higher, then that's what I have to do. And that's kind of what society rewards. You know, it's like the idea of whoever dies with the most toys wins. And and we just think it's, you know, me, 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 my, 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 I want, I want, I want. And that's not a spiritual way to live. That's not a biblical way to live. That's being childish instead of being childlike. Being childlike is depending on your heavenly father for everything in your life. And that's a good way to live. Being childish is having that me, me, me attitude that I'm more important than anybody else attitude. That attitude of, you know, uh, really just expecting people to give you things that, that entitlement that, is so prevalent in the world today where we think everybody owes us something everybody owes us everything and nobody wants to work for anything and nobody wants to struggle and nobody wants to do the hard things in order to get things that mean something but what i found is that you know it's worth the effort you get out of it what you put into it if you really want to enjoy this life then live it don't hide from it uh don't complain about it don't, you know, don't waste it. So there's a corporate aspect to being the temple. I am the temple, but also we are the temple. All of us together are the temple of God. We're all different parts of the same body of Christ, and each different part of the body has a different function. So you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. You have to do what you were called and created to do. So let me read this uh, in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 27, and I want to read it in the New King James Version. And it says, For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer for you. And, you know, the easy surface way to read that, interpret that is to say, God is going to build a house for us. I will build you a house. But I think there's a deeper meaning. And I think what God was saying is... I'm, I will build you a house. You are the house that I am building. God is building us into a house for him to live in. And I always kind of make the connection with Jesus being a carpenter. And I know that carpenters are not, you know, necessarily uh, construction people or house builders. They're usually, you know, like a carpenter will build furniture or, or something smaller like that. 
But the point I was trying to make is that Jesus, even in, in, in his natural life, he was a builder. He was a creator. He was some, someone who made things. And that's what God has always done with, with humanity is he's shaped us and formed us. He's built us up. He's created us. He built us into a house for him to live in. And, and again, when we're looking at this, the selfish way to look at it is, well, God will build me a house and then I can live in that house and I can be safe and I can hide from, you know, the dangers of the world. And there is an aspect to that. God will protect us. God is our refuge and he will put that hedge of protection around us. But the way that I want to look at this today is for us to understand that God is building himself a house. And again, I say that in both ways. He's building him a house for him to live in and he's building him us we are his house he's building himself in us if i can say it that way he's showing us who we are by showing us who he is because as he is so are we in this world and we have to understand that when we know him we will know our true selves when we understand that he lives in us that's when we can live in us, if I can say it that way. That's when we can live in our own skin. We can stop trying to be somebody we're not, and we can embrace who we really are and be who we really are. We can stop trying to get things, and we can start to give things because we will know that we have things. We can get to the point where what's inside of us, what we know and believe is inside of us, the love of God inside of us, the spirit of God that lives in us, will then come out of us. And we won't have to force it out. It'll come out naturally. It'll come out with every breath we take and every move we make. It will be as natural to us as breathing. It'll, it won't even be second nature. It will just be our nature. It will be us being who we are by letting God be who he is in us and through us and as us. But I have a couple of uh, passages I want to read, so I want to get into it before we go too long. Uh, you guys know I'm not going to go too long. I'm going to give you the old gorilla gospel, the old hit and run give you something to chew on, but not to choke on. Hopefully something that's practical, hopefully something that will help when we understand who we are. Again, this has been my thrust, the thrust of my ministry pretty much ever since the start of Word Without Walls is I just want us to understand who we are so we can stop trying to be somebody we're not. Because that's impossible. You can't be somebody you're not. I think the two hardest things in the world are to A, not do what you want to do, or B, do what you don't want to do. And basically what I'm saying is the hardest thing in the world is to go against your nature. So we need to understand our nature, our true nature, our God nature. We need to know who we are and how we got to be that way. We need to understand that all of us together are the temple and God create, God built that house. He built us as his house. So let's look at first Peter chapter two. I want to read verses four through 12. And the heading here is living stones for God's house. Starting with verse four, it reads, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Did you catch that? Christ is the living cornerstone. The whole thing is built on Jesus. He's the rock. He's the foundation. He is the, the chief cornerstone, the living cornerstone. God is light and love and life. When we're talking about 
living this God life, living this abundant, everlasting, eternal resurrection life of God, which is a life of love, it starts and ends with Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He built us as his house, but he started with Jesus. We are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple, right? He's the high priest, right? He's the one who lives in the temple, but he also is the temple. It's like how we go to church, but we are the church. It's the idea that not only do we uh, define ourselves in a certain way, but we also live that way. So it says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So again, he's the high priest and we're the holy priests, right? The Bible says in another place that we have been made kings and priests to rule and reign on this earth. This is for now. This is not for some happy day, you know, on a planet three miles south of Mars called heaven. This is for the days of heaven on earth. This is for right now. God lives in us today. God lives in us right now. He is the king of kings because we are kings. He is the high priest and we are his holy priests. So again, we see this, uh, this, this hierarchy or this divine order of things where it's Jesus living and expressing himself to us and in us and through us and as us. It's the, the, see, the kingdom is the realm where the king rules and reigns, which is why not only are we in the kingdom, but we are the kingdom. The temple is the realm where the high priest rules and reigns if I can say it that way. And we are that temple. We are the house that he has built for himself to live in. He, he said, I will build you a house. I will, again, I will build a house for you and I will build you into a house. We are the temple. We are the house. We are where God lives. And it starts with Jesus. He's the living cornerstone and we're the living stones. So it goes on in verse seven and says, Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And again, you know, I talk about this all the time. Why do we go through things? In my opinion, for one of two reasons. The first reason is to learn and grow. We go through things to go through things, to get stronger, to learn from them. And, and that's why I never get upset when people make mistakes, because if you never make a mistake, you can't learn from your mistakes. And you learn way more from mistakes than you do from success. And the second reason that we go through things 
and so that we can help others through those same things. We were called out of darkness into his wonderful light, and now we have that light, and now we can shine that light. We can show other people how to get through what we've been through. And a lot of times, that doesn't mean micromanaging them, and that doesn't mean controlling them, and that doesn't mean telling them exactly what to do. A lot of times, that can simply mean, hey, buddy, I've been where you are, and you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You're going to figure it out. I'm here for you. You can lean on me. You can talk to me. You can vent to me. Whatever you need to do, you're not in this alone. You're not going through this alone. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. It's okay. You will get through this just like I got through this. Sometimes just being there for somebody is the, the, the most powerful thing that you can do for them. So it says in verse 10, Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy. Now you have received God's mercy. And again, it's receiving and releasing. That's the divine order of things. Once you've received God's mercy, you can be merciful. Once you've received God's forgiveness, you can forgive. See, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it was forgive and you will be forgiven. But in the New Covenant, it's you have been forgiven. Now you can forgive. It's all about receiving what God has given to us, what God has done for us, and then releasing that. It's all about, you know, the, the new commandment for the new man. Love one another as God has loved you. Receive and release his love. Let him love the hell out of you and then turn around and love him back by loving the hell out of the people that you come into contact with. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He called us into the light and now we shine the light. Okay? Verse 11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable, honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. People are going to watch you and judge you and say things about you no matter what you do. And I, you know, I read somewhere recently that, that said, the people who criticize you are always doing less than you. They're never doing more than you, which made sense to me because the people that are doing more than you don't have time to criticize you and they don't care what you're doing. So get to a place where you're so full of your mission, where you're so full of your goals, where you're so full of your life that it doesn't matter what other people are doing or what other people say about you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to sweat about it. When you know the truth, you can ignore the lie. You don't have to fight it. You don't have to defeat it. You don't have to, you know, go on a sin hunt and get sin out of the camp. You can simply go on a righteousness hunt. You can tell people what's right with them instead of what's wrong with them. You can shine the light that you have been called into and you can live upright among unbelieving neighbors. You can do what you're supposed to do no matter what. But I want to move on. I want to uh, again, I want to get through this. So let's go to Romans chapter 8, and I want to read verses 1 through 13. And the heading here is life in the spirit. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So even when other people condemn you, again, you can just ignore it because Christ is not condemning you. He has forgiven you. He has taken your sin and and placed it as far as the east is from the west. He's thrown it into a sea of forgetfulness. The God who knows everything has chosen 
to forget your sins. He has chosen to be graceful and merciful and forgiving. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. This is where it all comes back, and this is where it all ties in. We know that we are the the temple of God. We know that the Spirit of God lives in us. So we are not controlled by our sinful nature. You know, Paul wrote in another place about how he said he was talking about a man who is under the law. And he was talking about how I do the things that I hate and I don't do the things that I love. I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. And remember, I said that those are like two of the hardest things in the world going against your nature. But when you're under the law, you don't understand your nature. You're just trying to follow rules and regulations and fit into a box that you were never meant to fit into. And that's why people struggle so much. And that's why people, you know, I mean, look around. People are so desperate to find an identity. They're so desperate to be unique, but also to fit in. They're so desperate to find people who will accept them. They're so desperate. They're so, there's a longing for acceptance for people to say, yeah, I see you. I understand you. You're okay. That they're, and they're so willing to change everything about themselves to try to get that acceptance. But that's that, that will never work because that's not true acceptance. The only way to find true acceptance is to find it in love. Love does not try to change people. Love accepts people. And, and yes, love will shine a light and show you who you really are. And then it will be up to you to accept who you really are. I, I really don't like the idea. And I've heard this so many times where people say, well, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. I don't agree with that. I don't think that makes sense. I don't think that can possibly be. Either he loves you just the way you are, or he wants to change you. It can't be both. If you love someone just the way you are, there's no need for you to change them. And that's how God loves us. He loves us just the way we are. The key is that he wants to show us the way that we really are. He wants to knock those chains off of us or, 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 or burn those bonds off of us, as we saw when we looked at the fiery furnace, the fire that is God, that burns away everything that we don't need in our lives, everything that is uh, not good for us, and then we can come out smelling like roses. Uh, I remember many, many, many years ago, I was preaching, and at the time my grandma was moving from one house to another, and the house she was moving into was a little bit smaller. And 
by necessity, she had to get rid of some of her stuff because it wouldn't all fit in the new house. And I thought that was a really good analogy of God building a house or building us as a house and just simply not having room for a lot of the stuff that we've accumulated in this life. We don't have to carry around all that baggage or drag it around or, or, or let it drag us down. We can simply, you know, as Hebrew says, we can simply lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. We don't have to try to cram everything in to the point where, where the stuff we don't need is, is overflowing and, and, and dominating our lives. We can get rid of it and, and we can fill our house with the good things of God that he has for us. So it says again, starting in verse nine, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you and remember that those who do not have the spirit of God living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. When the Bible says the spirit of God lives in you, it's also saying the life of God lives in you. The love of God lives in you. These are all terms for the same thing. And when we know that the love of God lives in us, that's when the love of God can come out of us. What's in you, what you believe is in you, your faith makes what's in you come out of you. So again, that's why it's so important, so practical, so vital that we understand that we are the temple of God and that his spirit, his life, his love lives in us. You can't give what you don't have and you can only give what you do have. If you know that love is in there, then you can give it. You can experience it by giving it away, by sharing it. So it says in verse 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That's powerful to me. You don't have to, listen, you don't have to believe everything you think. You don't have to do everything that pops into your head. Self-control is, believe it or not, a fruit of the Spirit. You can make choices in your life. Paul said, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. Basically, I can do whatever I want, but that doesn't mean I have to. And that doesn't mean I should, because everything I want to do isn't good for me. Sometimes I have thoughts where I'm like, I don't need that one. I, I can let that one go. And that's what, you know, taking every thought under captivity is all about. It doesn't mean chasing your thoughts and beating them into submission. It means letting ones that don't belong go. It means if something doesn't fit in your house anymore, leave it out. Put it out for the trash man and let it go. You don't have to struggle with it. You don't have to fight with it. You can just let it go. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But... If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So let me run over to Revelation chapter 21. I want to read verses 3 through 5 in the message to close out tonight. And this is one of my favorite passages. And I know they're all my favorite verses and I know they're all my favorite passages. But this is really one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. I love the way this sounds. I love the turn of phrase here. I love the truth here and the revelation here. Revelation 21 verses 3 through 5 in the Message Bible reads, I heard a voice thunder from the throne. 
Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears, gone. Crying, gone. Pain, gone. All the first order of things, gone. The enthroned continued, look, I'm making everything new. Write it all down, each word dependable and accurate. That is so powerful to me. And not only that, but it's a culmination of God's heart. All throughout the Old Testament, God cried out again and again and again, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And it seemed like the people rejected him at every turn. They wanted a human king instead of having God as their king. And they wanted Moses to go talk to God instead of talking to God themselves. And all these different things, they always wanted to put separation between God and man, even all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve hid from the presence of God. But then through the cross in Revelation, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. God finally got the cry of his heart. He finally got what he wanted the whole entire time. He built us into a house for him to live in, and then he moved into that house. The Spirit of God lives in us. The life of God, the light of God, the love of God lives inside of us. And because it lives, we can live. It's not about our sinful flesh or our, 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 our dead bodies. We are crucified with Christ. And yet we died. In him we live. So guys, you can live. You can live a life of love. You can experience that love by knowing it and believing it, by receiving it and releasing it, by giving it away, by loving God, by letting God love you and loving him back by loving people. That's what this life is all about. So uh, that's what I have for this week. Um, I think I'm going to probably preach about the light next week, maybe. Anyway, thanks for coming. And whatever it is, we will see you next week. Okay, well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, jesusrant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can uh, get the my books that I've written on there. They're also on Amazon. I have an author's page on Amazon. Um, I've written a lot of books. I'm pretty proud of them. You can order them. I try to keep them cheap because... I don't like to pay a lot of money for books, and I don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine. So check that out. Um, if you want to support the podcast itself, you can find it on anchor.fm. If you just search for Jesus Rant, um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it. And you can, su- you can support it Excuse me, by word of mouth, by telling people about it. Uh, helping other people listen, find it and listen to it. And uh, thank you once again, as always, for spending your time to listen to it, to uh, to help me to get the word out, which, you know, as we know by now is, is my heart, is just getting this word out, Word Without Walls Ministry. Um, so just thank you for your support. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen.